0: Greetings, Tarnished. Welcome to another episode of the Elden Archives, a FromSoft broadcast from the Robots Radio Rocket Club. I am A.K. Spartan. I'm Gatsu. And this week, we are here to talk about Rikert, the Lord of Blasphemy, also known uh, at some points in the timeline of the Lands Between as Praetor Rikert.
1: Yeah, no, Rikert is, uh, he's a very interesting character, at least in my mind. Because the way that I look at him, Rikert is very involved in the story yet his boss fight is just so kind of underwhelming to me wouldn't you say
0: yeah i from the story perspective of things i mean in my opinion Rikert is my probably my favorite and the character i find the most interesting from the lore and story aspects of things in the lands between but from the boss fight standpoint we've kind of developed a habit of if there is a boss fight if whatever the topic for the week is happens to feature a character or an entity that is also a boss fight, we tend to talk about the fight first. The Rikard fight, I I'm not honestly a huge fan. I think in terms of spectacle and like the the cutscene and the, the the voice lines and everything, it's probably my favorite in the game. But from an actual gameplay standpoint, I find it a little bit lacking. No, it is very lacking. I mean So okay, so you think so too then?
1: Well so if I think back to, you know, the time that I had played it for the first time, the game gives you the item that you need, the one thing that's, that the, the boss is weak to this weapon that you can just use to kind of cheese the, the fight in a sense.
0: Yeah. You're talking about the, uh, uh, serpent hunter, which you get, like you said, you can grab that right at the beginning of the, the boss room there, which I think that honestly, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the the Serpent Hunter gimmick there with the Ash of War, um, and the in the way to essentially cheese that fight. Especially if you have multiple people with Serpent Hunters, you can really cheese that fight. That's probably my biggest gripe with the entire thing is because, from my perspective, again, Riker is such a built up and menacing character in the lore and just important character in the lore. And then the boss fight is not only a gimmick fight, which in my opinion is one of the few gimmick fights in the game, but not only a gimmick fight, but also a gimmick they've done now three times across of across Fromsoft's catalog. Be- because I understand it's a serpent hunter now, not Storm Ruler, but it's really no different than the gimmick they used with the Yorm the Giant fight. And I didn't like it when it was reused then. This is
1: like again I, I tend to agree with you here this it is kind of frustrating that they you know it kind of reused this gimmick if you're going to give us gimmick fights that's one thing but at least come up with something that's a bit more different if you must give us that gimmick that gimmick fight
0: the other interesting thing too i I think is just kind of the inconsist- inconsistency inconsistency Of the entire experience surrounding the fight, because like I said, I I think in terms of the cinematic and the music and the entire spectacle of it, it's probably my favorite fight in the game and the best fight. And then you play the fight. I don't find it very fun. I don't find it very enjoyable. I kind of just want to get it done. But then after the fight, when you get your boss rewards, I think that's also, again, probably one of the more rewarding slash best fights you can finish from a reward standpoint in the game because the options from the remembrance the the boss items are the Riker's rancor which i we have this in the notes i don't think either of us have actually used Riker's rancor that much
1: no i didn't i was following a certain build when i was playing the game so it didn't fit in there for like that personal reason.
0: I think the you bring up a good point with it not fitting into your build, because that's kind of the problem I've seen a lot of people having because it, you, it requires 40 intelligence, but also 18 faith. And not many things require both intelligence and faith. And that's such a high level of intelligence that if you're going to if you're going to have 40 intelligence, you're probably a pure intelligence build. And in almost no circumstances as a pure intelligence build, do you require 18 faith? Those aren't stats that normally go together. So I, I definitely think that while Rikard's Rancor is probably powerful in actual use, it's very niche in application because of the stat requirements. But the other reward, the Blasphemous Blade, in my opinion, is the best weapon in the entire game. I, I mean, from, I, I get from a PvP standpoint, that's probably not true because the Ash of War is pretty easily dodgeable from PvP standpoint. But from a PvE standpoint, this weapon essentially makes the game, or turns the game into easy mode, in my opinion. I mean, it is, it's is—it's so good. It is very good. This is, you know, something that
1: I didn't personally use myself, but I am aware of it. You know, I did do a little bit of PvP, and so I did see people use it when they were... So, I mean, it is a very good astro War. It's probably, mm-hmm. if not the best, I think.
0: I've used the the Taker's Flame Ash of War and the Blasphemous Blade to solo cheese Melania. You can toss Melania around with that Ash of War. I've used that weapon to cheese the Malakoth fight, which I've said before I think is the hardest fight in the game. Like I said, it's so good. And it also, it being a great sword, that's one of the more preferred movesets, I think. I think there's a lot of weapons where... Maybe there's a good Ash of War involved or something like that, but the weapon-based moveset itself is not that desirable. But like a greatsword, a lot of people run around using greatswords and are comfortable with greatswords in these games. And so like having such a powerful Ash of War on a greatsword that's a weapon most people are already comfortable with, I think just adds to the power here. I agree with the statement
1: about the greatsword moveset. I definitely really understand the favor of the great sword because you get like the the reach with it. And then also, you know, the large arcing and swinging attacks. So there's a lot of versatility there in my mind.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that the weapon being so powerful and being tied to Rikard is also just interesting for what that potentially says about Rikard himself. There's a lot actually that we know or can can discover about Rikard and his, his time in the Lands Between, just from item descriptions and adventuring across Elden Ring. And his story starts similarly to who we talked about last week when we spoke about Lunar Princess Ronnie. His story starts in Liurnia as he is a direct child of Queen Renala and Radigan when those two were married in Liurnia and were uh, parents to Lunar Princess Ronnie. Praetor Reichert, and General Radon. And that would be a lot, uh, seem to be a lot of the reason why we've already spoken about Reichert a little bit, because he was involved in the Night of the Black Knives. That's true. He was
1: involved, and we know this um, specifically from the Blasphemous Claw tool item description, which says, on the Night of the Dire Plot, which is referring to the Night of the Black Knives, Ronnie rewarded Praetor Rikard with these traces. Should the coming trespass one day transpire, they would serve as a last resort foil, allowing Reichard to challenge Malekith, the Black Blade, the Black Beast of Destined Death.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's just important to to establish that connection because it's just further evidence of Rikard being against the greater will and the Erd tree and the status quo of things, because his own objectives, as we'll talk about a little bit later on, it eventually become very against the Erdtree. Um, almost, uh, I would say, probably the most against the Erd tree that a character gets in in the lands between. But just to double back with the the Carian the Carian beginnings for Reichard, I think the 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 one under the other thing that I think really connects to the Karian aspect of his beginnings is the fact that he, dis- he is essentially the reason why the Magma sorceries have become uh, sorceries, again, in The lands Between. We can find this out from the Roiling Magma sorcery item description, which states that after discovering the ancient hexes of Gelmir, Rikard, son of Queen Renala, brought them back into practical use as new forms of sorcery. So the magma sorceries were some form of ancient hexes that Reichard discovered and he brought them into the mainstream fold of magic in the of sorcery in the lands between as the magma sorceries. I just find that interesting because and we we mentioned this a little bit last week when we I had the realization that all of the Karian children seem to do stuff like this with Ronnie doing it with Frost Sorcery and Radon then Gravity. And Rikard's being these violent magma sorceries, I, I think is an interesting part of his character.
1: No, I think so too. Um, like you said, he's doing similar things because he and his siblings, they're all kind of revitalizing these old and ancient magics. So it's it's definitely very interesting. It, it, it definitely goes to show that, you know, Ranala is 100 percent their mother seems to be kind of like a in the family type thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of keeping things in the family, at one point, just like his father, Reichard was actually a very big part of the Golden Order. And his role, we know, was as the lead inquisitor. And he was very good at this job and developed a very ruthless reputation while doing this job. Uh, his purpose was essentially to uh, from from the shadows, from behind the scenes, relatively in the lands between to root out heretics and any opposition to the Golden Order and the greater will and essentially purge them from the lands between like, like, like you think, uh, you know, when you hear the term inquisitor or somebody staging an inquisition. And like I said, he was he was very good at this. I mean, we can find several examples uh, that demonstrate just how malicious and efficient some of his methods seem to be. Two of the item descriptions that stood out to me were the the weapons, uh, the first being Giza's wheel, the second being the inquisitor's girorondel. Let's look at those item descriptions because i I, I think it's an important part of Reichardt's character to establish just how sinister some of these torture methods were. The inquisitor's Gerondel item description describes the weapon as an instrument of torture used on nobles behind the curtain at the volcano manor of Mount Gelmir its numerous spikes pierce the flesh then singe the wounds with flame the smell of burnt blood induces despair in the victim that doesn't sound very that doesn't sound very fun i don't think i want any part of that no count me out for that i don't understand
1: how that is supposed to be a torture method and not just a straight up murder method.
0: Yeah, it feels like it feels like that would almost be difficult to survive, but maybe the uh the spikes don't pierce very deep. Um so the the actual the actual spikes aren't going in very deep, but then there's the burning and all of that stuff. I, I I I don't I don't know. I'm I am i am trying not to think too too much about it because it sounds a little unpleasant. Well, then also I'm I'm looking at the Giza's
1: wheel weapon item description which says great iron wheel lined with flesh flaying blades device of torture used by inquisitor giza as the wheel spins it causes severe pain and blood loss can't imagine that being on the receiving end of this of either of these things is very pleasant
0: As you were reading the uh, Giza's wheel item description there, the other thing I noticed, the last part of that item description mentions that the design was adopted for use as the iconic weapon wielded by the Iron Virgin's. Uh, Also known as the Abductor Virgins, which I think is another important thing to mention here as we talk about the torture, the torturous tools used by Rikard and the Inquisitor aspect of Reichard's journey through the Lands Between, because the Abductor Virgins were uh, designed to both defend Reichard's area, you know, defend. We see a lot of them defending Volcano Manor on the way up Mount Gilmere. But also, I mean, they are Abductor Virgins. I mean, this is an Inquisition. So it would make sense that Reichard would invent something that makes it easier to abduct the heretics that he is trying to purge out of the lands between. I mean, that is a big part of an inquisition is, you know, being able to abduct and interrogate the opposition uh, of, you know, to the belief system that you are enforcing.
1: And, you know, the abductor versions, they're a great example of, you know, Reichard's blasphemy. But, you know, another thing that I think is kind of an example of it, um, the the ringed, the, the finger creepers. I think those are also kind of an example, because if you look at the ringed finger weapon description, it says, A bludgeon made from an enormous finger, sheathed in several heavy rings, thought to have been cut from an ancestor of the finger creeper. Some life yet remains in this legacy of an ancient act of blasphemy, as evidenced by barely perceptible warmth it still exudes. I... Definitely think this description literally telling you this was created from an act of blasphemy. I think Rikard, you know, worked together with Ronnie to create these.
0: I don't know how I feel about Ronnie being connected to the finger creepers, but I definitely think that I've also been of the opinion that Rikard is responsible. I think, again, that, that like, as you read, the ringed finger item description also referencing it's a separate act of blasphemy compared to the the grand act of blasphemy that we know Rikard committed uh, with uh, letting himself be devoured by the the serpent and letting the serpent also devour his great rune. But just another act of blasphemy being mentioned, like you said, really just kind of seems to point directly to Rikard and only Rikard because he is the Lord of Blasphemy. But after his time with the Golden Order, there was a separation that took place after some discoveries Riker made on Mount Gelmir. And he eventually broke from the Golden Order and turned against the Erd Tree and the Greater Will and started gathering a following at Volcano Manor. There's a quest line where you yourself become one of his followers at Volcano Manor and you work your way through and it leads to the Rikard boss fight at the end. You see the fate of all of Rikard's champions and you too can, can join the Serpent King as family. And I don't think you can really, we can't really talk about the Volcano Manor Uh, assortment of characters or that quest line without first mentioning Tanith. Tanith is the woman that greets you when you first get to Volcano Manor. She is sitting in the uh, little chair or throne or whatever you want to call it there with the Crucible Knight behind her. And she is your quest giver for that storyline. She is also Rikard's consort. And we know a lot about them from the consort's mask item description, which is her mask and it, the item description says it's mask worn by Tanith, Lady of the Volcano Manor, in the image of a foreign queen. Long ago, when Reichard first set eyes on Tanith, she was working as a dancer in a foreign land. And I, I actually want to stop my read on that just briefly there to look at that real quick, because I think it's very interesting that Reichard is another example of a character in the lands between that at one point ventured to a foreign land.
1: You, you kind of read my mind there. I was honestly just thinking the same thing. It's, it's kind of an interesting kind of theme
0: going on. Do you think that could have anything to do with his ultimate decision to rebel against the Erd Tree so ferociously? I definitely think it might have a play in it for sure. I just find that interesting. I thought there might be a connection there. But the rest of that item description finishes by saying soon he made her his consort she was the only human to remain by his side when he became the serpent of blasphemy in that moment Tanneth was truly charmed by him so uh, of course i mean this is this is a, a true love story yeah <laughs> most most you could
1: you could say that you know hey through sickness and health man that's true
0: for better or worse
1: yeah i i, I don't i don't know what else to tell you i hate to you know Poop on Riker's party, but I'd say it got worse.
0: <laughs> but I, I I do think that's interesting that she she's the only character to stay beside him through the transformation. the The other thing that I find interesting though is that Riker had Tanith as a consort, yet Riker's true union, you know, is with the god devouring serpent that he let devour him along with his great room, and and that union coincidentally led to the creation of the Serpent Men. I find that interesting because that's one of those things, there's a lot of creatures in the lands between, and we don't actually get hard confirmation for where all of them come from. So the the Man-Serpent Ashes item description describes that as the spirit of a deformed man-serpent that wields a whip of magma. It is said that long ago, the elder serpent that dwelled on Mount Gelmir devoured a demigod, that's Rikard, and the birth of the man-serpents followed. So that union, Riker giving himself to the serpent, led to the birth of the man serpents. You know, and that's it's also kind of been a
1: a running theme, as you know, as we're uncovering these things that a lot of these characters are capable of. Not only you know ascending and becoming gods in their own right, but they can create life.
0: I think the other thing about A lot of the stuff surrounding Volcano Manor and Rikard's time there that stands out to me is there's an overarching theme across many of the items and different abilities and things that are associated with Riker, And the theme being taking things by force. Or taking things in general as a method of acquisition of, of conquest and taking for oneself, rather than you know some other form of maybe bargaining or negotiation or something like that. And there is a, there is a lot of this. I mean, we didn't really talk about the uh, the great rune for Rikard yet, but Rikard's great rune, um, the effect from Rikard's great rune uh, restores HP to the user as you attack enemies. There, there is the taker's cameo, which is a talisman that grants health back when you kill enemies. And that talisman, the item description for that talisman actually directly discusses the fact that when Riker turned to heresy, taking by force became the rule. The gods themselves were no different after all. I mean, so this is a clear both choice by Fromsoft and the creators and a clear intention of Riker's. As a character to dedicate himself to this brutal conquest of taking whatever he might need or whatever he might desire by force. Yeah, definitely highlights again, like
1: that's that kind of switch, you know, from what he used to be the uh, head inquisitor of the golden order to this.
0: I actually, I absolutely agree with you there. And I think the other thing too that stood out to me was the fact that there are also item descriptions. Or not item descriptions. There are also items that don't seem directly associated with Rikard, but seem directly associated with the serpent god. One example being the serpent god's curved sword, which the that item restores health upon killing enemies. So it almost feels like Rikard's emphasis on taking by force and the influence of that becoming what he is about and the creation of so many of these items and so many of these things becoming what his his abilities are, Uh, it almost to me feels like that that came to be through the influence of the serpent because it seems like, I mean, that that, that sword itself is an example of, uh, because another part of that item description refers to the sword as a, a tool of a forgotten religion practiced on Mount Gelmir. Uh, that was used to offer up sacrifices. So the Serpent God's curved sword far predates, you know, a lot of things in the lands between. And that also has that sort of taking health nature to it. So like I said, yeah, it just seems like, and you can let me know what you think about this, but that 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 might be where the influence on Rikard's nature came from. I would most definitely
1: have to agree with you. It definitely seems like whatever sort of influence this serpent god has it can definitely be very you know kind of overbearing because it's apparent on Riker as we see the form that he is in now but also I mean to kind of go a little bit back to Tanith I mean she's literally consuming the thing that's not a sane thing to do it is a she's literally eating a pile of Kind of corpses, in a sense. So, whatever kind of influence this serpent god had, it was definitely very impressive.
0: Yeah, I I think so. As we move to the end of the episode here, I think something that, or or the last thing that I would, I definitely want to bring up and get your opinion on is whether or not you think that we are going to learn anything substantial about Rikert in the upcoming DLC. Because I, for one, actually think that there's a solid chance of that happening. Because with the fact that things seem to be pointing to a story around Mickela and Godwin and some potentially restoring Godwin or anything of that nature, just, just things surrounding those characters. As we said already, Reichard was involved in the Night of the Black Knives. And so he is very directly associated with the incident that saw Godwin die. I'm not saying that there's going to be anything like, you know, a Riker boss fight or anything. I don't don't think we're going to see Riker again unless there's some sort of time travel that, you know, we're not really aware of. But in terms of lore and item descriptions and things of that nature, I mean, do you expect to learn anything new about Riker in the DLC? Or do do you think uh, it's pretty much a what we have is what we're going to get type situation? I personally didn't.
1: Really consider the fact that we were going to possibly get any sort of new record content um, in the DLC. My main kind of expectations were going to be more focused on kind of Mikla and Godwin and maybe Melania and, you know, uh, America, you know, all those other people. Um, however, when you said it and you brought it up just now, I do kind of see it as a possibility. The one thing that I'm kind of caught up on though is I, I don't see it because the fight itself was what it was. Like, I don't, unless they want to kind of retcon it in a sense to kind of fix it because Riker himself is such an important character. And they want to do a proper Riker fight, like you said, kind of in a sort of time travel sort of fashion. I could see that as a possibility, but I do not see it really being kind of a huge chunk of content.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that the it it seems like the DLC is going to be Mikula and Godwin focused. But I do think that, like I said, just just to wrap wrap up my thoughts, I think that there's a pretty decent chance that. Through learning more about potentially the night of the Black Knives and how Godwin died, there will be additional information about both Ronnie and Reichard in the sense of we will potentially learn more about what went down that night and and where they were involved and things of that nature. And and maybe even a little bit more of why they went against the Golden Order. But next week, we're going to talk about a guy that never went against the Golden Order. We're going to finish up the Karian siblings, and we're going to talk about General Radon. He's Yeah, he's uh, staying
1: strong in his faith, some might say.
0: Yeah, and so that'll be next week. Like I said, General Radon. And then just to go over the uh, what the plan is for the episodes after that, after that, we're going to wrap up the Karian royal family as a whole and talk about Ranala, the Queen of the Full Moon. And then we are going to shift over to the Urshari royal family, as we've already talked about Melania and Mikula and Queen Merica, we are going to then talk about Morgoth, the Omen King, and wrap up um, the this upcoming series of episodes with an episode on Mo- Moog, the Lord of Blood. So a lot of, a lot of different interesting topics there. And actually, all four of those are also boss fights. So we are going to really get to dive into the mechanics of some of these things and talk more about. Kind of our experiences with some of these fights. I know the Radon fight is a pretty big spectacle. The Moog fight is a pretty big spectacle. I, I love the Morgoth fight. So I think, I think all of those are going to be pretty fun discussions because there's a lot of lore there too. I agree with you. And also, I think, can we correct me if I'm
1: wrong? But once we finish up those batches of episodes, I think that will conclude us talking about all of the um, the demigod children. Yes, uh, technically Godwin. Godwin, we would not have covered. Gotcha. So, I mean, it's kind of a we're kind of coming to a close on uh, that chapter of this uh, Elden Ring saga, in a sense. So, it's kind of it's kind of exciting. I'm I'm excited to to do those episodes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so everybody can look forward to those episodes coming up. Like I said, Uh, as far as contacts goes, of course, uh, everyone can feel free to reach out to the show. Um, any, anything we get in the, uh, the Twitter DMS or the email, uh, we will read out on the show. If it's like an opinion or something, if somebody has a theory, uh, that's part of why we announce the episode topics in advance, or we try to at least, uh, try to make sure we do is because we are trying to leave things open for people to send us responses, uh, of some kind of be like, Hey, this is my theory on Radana. This is my theory on Rinala. And we will incorporate that in the show. Um, but the, uh, the email for that contact is. The Elden Archives, all lowercase, at gmail.com. We are also on X, like I said, at Elden Archives. And then I am at uh, Elden Spartan. Uh, Gatsu, what's your handle? I am at gatsu995. And then, of course, uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, this is a Robots Radio Rocket Club podcast, which means that uh, we are on the Robots Radio Discord. The show has a channel there, so you can chat with us there. We post episodes there. Uh, f- feel free to... uh chime in there and, you know, chat with us about Elden Ring. And also that Discord uh, has links to a lot of other shows from the network and just things of that nature. So I encourage anybody to check out different things from the network in general. Other than that, uh, I think that is our time for this week. Next week, we will be talking about General Radon and we will see you all at the foot of the Erdtree. Tree. When a Wasteland detective and a Vault Girl cross paths, no criminal is safe. You're both under arrest.
1: Don't move a muscle if you know what's good for you.
0: Based in Bethesda's Fallout series, follow Walter and Bunny as they traverse the Texas Commonwealth and New Vegas, busting big crime rings. We'll need all we can to expand into Vegas territory. And surviving anything the Wasteland can throw at them. It's him, it's the Mob Man! Featuring a series of nail-biting narratives and guest stars from across the Fallout community. It's anybody's guess what thrilling case is up next. War never changes, does it, Bonnie?
1: No, it certainly does not.
0: True Vault Escapades, a Fallout audio drama. Available anywhere you get podcasts.